Hi, welcome to the C4SO podcast. I'm your host, Bishop Todd Hunter. Nothing I like better than preaching. Been doing it since I was 19, but I've always striven to be better at it. Is striven a word? Anyway, here we go. Our guest today is Tisha Hadra. Tisha is the rector at um, Res in Los Angeles. And you'll hear I start this off by really embarrassing her. Here we go. Let's listen to Tisha. Tisha, it's so great to see you on my screen today. Not everybody can see you, but I get to see you and hear you. It's so great to see you today. Thanks for being here. Always a pleasure. Any opportunity I get to hang out with you, Bishop Todd, I'm, I'm here for it. So sign oh, me up every please. time. please. You're making me blush. Now I get to make you <laughs> blush. You ready? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Well, you know, I, I hate to tell you, but you're kind of getting a reputation of being a really good preacher. And I know it's that's a little hard to hear, but it's such a rare and beautiful gift. I just want to talk mm. to you about it today. Yeah. I. It's funny. One of the things I'm sort of chatting with my spiritual director about is the practice of receiving compliments. And so- Oh, there you go. It, <laughs> it is something I am uh, uh, working on. So yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. Maybe the spirit flew from your spiritual director into my heart so that I, I, could, I could let you practice. <laughs> Part of the reason I want to talk to you about this today is that I think preaching or teaching, especially when you think of the power and authority that coheres to those things, mm -hmm. it feels like people are nervous about it, skittish about it. I get it because power and authority has been so misused. But I want to, in this conversation with you today, part of what I want to do is just recapture the goodness of the week in and week out shepherding of a group of people yeah. through teaching and preaching. So anyway, tell me about you. What was your first sense of desire that this could be a, like a good thing in the kingdom? Yeah. You know, as with pretty much everything having to do with my vocation as a priest, I was slow to come to it. Uh -huh. um, public speaking in and of itself is something I've been doing for a really long time, like even okay. going back to high school. So okay. I, I have always been a person who, um, it's not that I don't get nervous. I, I do, my knees will be shaking, but, but I am a person who is somewhat has enjoyed being in front of people, public speaking. That's always been okay. something I've been up to. So I was a high school debate team on the high school debate team. I was, okay. you know, a, a lawyer for a number of years. Um, but you know, I remember my first sermon, the first mm. time I actually preached a sermon and it was actually terrible. I, um, was, it, it was, <laughs> it was in front of a group of, of high school students. And the main feeling I remember having is a feeling of wanting to jump outside of my own skin, like, <laughs> yeah. like to wish that I could just be beamed out of <laughs> this place and this situation. But I think the biggest problem for me at that time was actually exactly what you named in the beginning was I didn't have a sense of groundedness and authority mm. in yeah. my ability to speak, to preach, to proclaim. I think that was the biggest, I couldn't have named it at that time, but that I think was the biggest reason that I um, felt so out of place because public speaking is something that I had been doing for yeah. years at that point, right? So there's something very different going on with yeah. preaching. Yeah, say a bit more about that. <clears throat> it feels like you're saying that you had a skill set, you know, from debate and mm -hmm. courtrooms, but that preaching somehow felt different. 
And I suppose it is now that you say that. Um, so say a bit more, like what was it like to take that skill set and morph it into being a really good pastor teacher? Yeah. You know what it is? It's a, it's a vulnerability. I don't think that, okay. that I don't think that, that, that that's the easiest connection to make, but it was, it, it was in a, a, a preaching class in a homiletics class in, in seminary. That was where I first started to have that sense of, okay. Oh, wow. Uh, something is up here. Like God is doing something kind of weird in my heart, in my body. Mm. And it's sort of coming out in a way that seems to impact people in ways that I can't explain and that I couldn't expect. Yeah. Um, so I was in this class with my professor. Her name's uh, Lisa Lamb, Dr. Lisa Lamb. She um, was like one of my favorite seminary mm-hmm. professors. And so we were in this class with, I was in this class with a bunch of dynamite preachers, right? So she manages to create this environment. She's a pastor, right? Mm-hmm. She's a professor, but she is a pastor. So she manages to create this environment where we're all um learning uh to preach right um yeah. and we're we're both we're, we're we're both we're both encouraging one another and telling each other yes yeah you, i remember those you could have done that better right mm-hmm. but she created this space of pushing and shaping and nudging and affirmation and comfort and discomfort. Mm. Those were some of the first that it was in that kind of environment where I first started to have a sense of, um, Oh, uh, wow. This, this is really something different going on here. And Mm. she in particular encouraged and pushed us in, um, incorporating and attending to kind of like our own, story, our own journey with God, yes. our own, um, the hitches in our own hearts, mm-hmm. um, and, and how those can be, uh, brought to bear for, for other people. So, so anyway, all that is to say is that it was in a community of preachers ah. with a pastor professor, yes. uh, that I was first able to have that sense of, um, yeah, the power, like you were saying that that's really kind of possible. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I I'm indebted to Dr. Lamb in that way, I think. We all have professors we love. That's so cool mm-hmm. to hear. Well, <clears throat> I think, Tisha, it's, I don't know, I might be overstating this, just thinking out loud, that it doesn't seem possible to do anything really well in human life, play golf, dance, preach, uh, without having some level of confidence. Because I think without confidence, you're just in your own head, and you're in your own emotions. So you're not really mm-hmm. present to the text. You're not really present to your congregation. You're just sort of present to our own neuroses. Can you describe for people who maybe are beginning this journey, that first moment maybe that you felt like, oh, you know, like it's possible to be modest and confident. It's possible to be humble and confident. Those aren't opposites. So describe a moment and maybe help people understand that it is possible to feel confident without being arrogant. And and what was the first moment that you can recall where you thought, yeah, like God really uses me in this? I think in I think about this uh, uh, quote from from Karl Barth, who said something like, uh, "The act of of preaching or the event of preaching is God's own speaking, mm, or yeah. something like that." And so I think the 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 ways that I have experienced that level of confidence is in recognizing that 
it 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 isn't me because I've been a public speaker like in a lot of other kinds of forums, right. and um, those these kinds of things don't happen. People, you know, things like praying. I, I have sort of a practice, for example, of it's my Sunday Sunday afternoon practice after mm-hmm. church is over and all of that. And I just read the texts for the following week. We we yes. preach from the lectionary and I just mm-hmm. read them. I don't, I'm not trying to write anything down. I'm not trying to like, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to do anything except read them and like, let them sit with me. Yes. I used to do <laughs> um, the same. I used to do the same thing when I was going yeah. to Mesa. Yeah. And, and, and I just find that when I do that, then throughout the week, those words come to my heart at different moments, different mm-hmm. points. Maybe it's I'm having a coffee with someone and that that word, mm. like there's a word for them in that. Right. Um, or I hear a story or I read a story and I think, oh, there's a connection. So what ends up, all of that, then I end up pouring into the sermon. And I just know I didn't do that. You know, uh, I didn't create, didn't make those texts the texts. I didn't create um, that particular need. And so the the sort of confidence without arrogance, I think, comes mm. from an awareness and an attentiveness to the ways that that God has been mm. with me as I've been, yes. as this sermon has been like yeah. percolating throughout mm-hmm. the week. Uh, and 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 comes to to exist on you know words on 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 paper or notes on paper yeah. or yeah or kind of whatever. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think it's I, I think like it's that. that. It's it. Uh, I hear you saying that a part of your confidence comes from the fact that you were the first recipient of the word, and not merely a deliverer of it, but a recipient of it. Absolutely, absolutely. One of my um, one of my uh, favorite books that I've read on preaching is um, by Thomas Long. And he has this image of uh, a preacher as witness, as one who who gives evidence, right? And so he talks about how the the preacher is the the person that the church, that the congregation sends mm-hmm. uh, to the text with all of their longings, all of their losses, in order to listen on their behalf mm, yeah. for a word, for a claim, for God's yes. claim in that yeah. text. And then for for that for that claim to first be brought to bear on them. Yes. Yeah. And then to report back. So you're not reporting back like some abstract whatever whatever yeah, about the or, text or, or just doing stale exegesis right no yeah. you're talking about man i went to the text and let me tell you what happened yeah which might which could have happened to you while you were doing exegetical work but not merely you're always that's listening right. to the spirit right that's right that's right absolutely i i mean I, you know we we both went to seminary i love i love sitting with commentaries and studying mm-hmm. and all of that. I, I engage yeah. with that every week. I have a pretty, I'm fairly regimented about my sermon <laughs> preparation <laughs> practices. Um, okay, everybody, there's tip one. <laughs> tip number one, get real about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I spend, I spend a, a good amount of time. I, I know what my best hours of the day are for that mm-hmm. kind of work, and I protect yeah. that time. 
Uh, All right, everybody, there's tip two. (laughs) (laughs) I protect that time because, and the, the other thing is, you know what? I love it. I love preparing sermons and I love um, delivering sermons. And so it, it feeds my soul. And so I protect the time that I spend preparing and writing. I, I like to study in my office. I like to write Mm -hmm. out in a coffee shop. I find that that is helpful to me. Um, So yeah, so I just do, I just do these things in a way that I, that I personally and spiritually find, uh, uh, sustaining. And, and I, th- yeah. I think that's helpful. So uh, I, I hear you saying another thing. I've lost track now. Tip three is <laughs> that we, we all need to find the times and spaces in which this particular craft of writing a sermon happens best. Like I could never do it in a coffee shop. Like I need quiet. Well, I had to discover that. And, right. you, and you forever, you know, for whatever reason, I can picture you with, you know, headphones on or something sitting in a coffee shop and that works for you. So I think the message here is, um, some self-awareness to find the spaces and times in which you write best. Absolutely. And, 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 and to, to, to be open to sermon preparation as a practice, as something yes. as not, as not a task to mm-hmm. be done or a, a, a box to be checked every week, but as a, a practice, like a thing that could actually shape and transform you as the preacher yeah, I'm I, find, so, I so agree with you. I'm yeah. so glad you said that. Yes. Yeah. And so I think it's just an openness to that. I find that sometimes I uh, I preach to myself. <laughs> uh, totally. Me too. <laughs> you know, uh, it's a word that 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 I need. And man, time after time, it's people then come up and say, I really needed to hear yeah. that. You know, yeah, you've probably heard people say, and and I know it's well meaning, I understand why people say it, that if you're reading the Bible in preparation for a sermon, it sort of doesn't count. And and I get why people are saying that. I guess if it truly is transactional, utilitarian, mechanistic, I guess maybe. But the way you and I are talking about it, that's not true because we're sitting before the text precisely to hear it for ourselves. Like, I'm not going to preach a text that I haven't first heard for myself in in my own heart and soul. Yeah, I I sometimes there are some weeks where um the 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 other thing is like the the preparation is not going to be always in your little specified times cuz sometimes yeah. pieces come to me when I'm on yeah. my bike, I go mm-hmm. for a bike ride and or I'm going for a walk and I have to stop and get it uh <laughs> yeah. get that idea Gosh, get that. We, we are so alike. <laughs> I, I text myself, text Todd Hunter, and Siri says, what do you want to say? And then I say the idea that I don't want to forget. <laughs> That's great. I love it. I'll have to try. That's more high tech than me. I just open, an, open a note. I just okay. open a note. <laughs> um, but all of that is listening. You know, right. all of yes. that is listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and leaving space, right. being attentive to those times when God speaks to you, when God makes a connection, when God uh, gives you something um, that needs to be said to, yeah. to God's people, you know? Yeah, it's one of my most treasured memories of, you know, speaking every week, you know, which I don't do anymore and haven't for about three and a half years, is I do remember those moments of me hearing the text myself, and sometimes that directly translated into the message, other times it didn't. 
but I had to hear it first, and maybe the congregation had to hear it with a slightly different angle or a slightly different accent. But nevertheless, I could only give that angle or that accent because I myself had heard it first. Yes, yes. And sometimes sometimes you you hear a piece of the text that's not for right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've had that too. Well, Tisha, when I thought about visiting with you today, I thought about three things that I'd like us to talk about. One is the preacher's heart, and mm-hmm. one is the passage, and then the third one is one's context or one's congregation. So let's talk first about the preacher's heart. Say a bit about your own, a bit more about your own spiritual disciplines, about how you cultivate love for your congregation, um, how you cultivate learning you know, versus just being an expert because you went to seminary. Um, and then the third thing I thought of about our heart is um, cultivating the ability to embody hospitality. Like I picture you or me or any any of our listeners who preach, like standing at a music stand or behind a pulpit or however we stand. And I love the the picture of us in our bodies exuding hospitality and grace Mm. and space making so that people can learn and grow. So let's take them one at a time and probably have to move a little quickly here, but talk a bit about your own sense of cultivating love for your congregation as a subset of preaching. That's so good, man. Okay. This is uh, maybe going to get a little vulnerable, but I, one of the things that I have been really trying to attend to is I am much better at proclaiming, cultivating, believing in God's love for the people, right? The mm. the people in my congregation, I find it a lot harder to receive that myself. Uh, okay. It's connected even to, because even compliments, right? This is what mm-hmm. I'm learning, are other people proclaiming the goodness, God's goodness that they see within me, my gifts, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. All that's very hard for me. And so- what I'm what I'm learning then is um, that I have to cultivate um, uh, my own sense of like God's love for me, oh. and and that that can only enhance then my ability to proclaim um, my uh, to proclaim like God's love for for yeah. others, which is um, easier said than done. I suspect that that'll that that's a work that I'll be doing all, all my days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, thank you. Thanks yeah. for saying that. Yeah. So I hear you saying for you, um, there's a, like a symbiotic relationship of being able to be in the community and to receive love in order to really be present as a loving being back to them. Yeah, for sure. And I think the other part of that is I, I, cultivate love for the people in my church by being with them, yeah. you know, really yeah, being you. with them. Yeah. Um, and I'm so grateful to have such a wonderful partner in ministry and my husband mm-hmm. who has a major gift of hospitality oh, yeah. um, and is a major extrovert and a connector. And so He's just here for all the yeah. dinners and having people over and having people in our home. Yeah. Um, and so really being present to people yes. and with people. So knowing their lives, knowing uh, you know, what's going on with them, uh, things like that. I think that that also helps me to to cultivate love uh yeah. for for the people. Yeah. 
Well, I, I wish Eugene was still alive. He'd be so happy to hear us talking like this, Eugene Peterson. <laughs> this, yeah. would, this would be so right up his alley. <laughs> it's it's if I could spend all all of my time uh, meeting with people and and preparing sermons, I'd yeah. be. If you didn't I'd have to so run, a ch- if you didn't have to run a church, <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. If I didn't have to run a, run a small nonprofit, uh, yeah, exactly. Then, uh, it'd be a lot. It'd be great. So, as you said, Tisha, you know, you're a seminary graduate, and so you know, you studied the biblical languages, and you studied exegesis, and you said that, you know, one of your favorite professors was a homiletical professor. So that means that every week you stand where you stand. I can picture your room, but I can't picture a podium or not, but. You stand where you stand truly as an expert. I mean, you know, relative to 99% of the population, you are an expert. How do you stand there as an expert while cultivating an atmosphere of learning? Mm. I think it's first by rec- by being myself always a learner. Mm. Um, by always, w- One of my mentors and good friends, John Hambrick, likes to say, if you think you have all the answers, then you just don't have all the questions. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that that's sort of been ingrained in me. I, I'm a lifelong learner. I love to learn. I may, I have no illusions about, um, being, knowing all the things, uh, knowing everything, uh, or, or any of those different pieces. Th- those are not, those are not my, my traps or, yeah. or challenges. But I think that I, I guard against that by just myself being a learner, mm-hmm. um, always reading, always studying and, and, uh, and seeking more. So always knowing that I, I don't and can't know it all. Yeah. Similar to that, we're, we're still staying on the preacher's heart here. You also stand where you stand to speak with these ideas, these thoughts are that you've carefully put together for a Sunday morning, they exist in your head. How do you imagine them? How do we as preachers imagine that also though, creating the hospitality that hospitality that I talked about, the grace, the space for people to learn and grow. So picture like connecting your head to the congregation and the heart that you've described such that they get caught up in this moment of, like mm-hmm. mutual discovery. You know, when I think about some of the, some of the mo- one sermon I heard in particular um, that comes to mind where it was a sermon on, on a Psalm that I forget which the, the, the Psalm that says taste and see that the mm. Lord is good. Yeah. Um, and this preacher, she connected that line, that uh, phrase with food. And okay. the flavors and the smells, um, yeah. And so, in that moment, she wasn't talking about. She wasn't just talking about God's goodness. It was mm-hmm. so evocative that as we all experienced the, like we were with her eating that meal, yeah. So we were in that moment uh, experiencing in like this really tangible way uh, God's mm, goodness, and so yeah. I think that that that's kind of that's part of it that that it's not just that we come to talk about God mm. or God's love, God's justice, God's peace, but sort of we come to allow people to experience it yeah. in that moment to either 
recall times that they have experienced it or, you know, things like that. So I think that there's a, um, in that story, it was through a really vivid Mm. uh, metaphor. It was so evocative. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe it's through a personal story or um, a story from history or a story or or a modern story. But, but the, I think that the key oftentimes is to find ways to make that connecting connection between uh, what you're talking about uh, Mm -hmm. and, and like, giving people a way to actually experience it in yeah. the, in the moment. Yeah. And you just, uh, gave me an idea that I, 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 I'm sure I've thought of before, but hearing you say it makes me think again, this is one of the great things about the symbiotic relationship that exists between the rest of the liturgy and the sermon. Cause the right. rest of the liturgy helps us do this, you know, the, yeah. t- the tactileness of Eucharist, the, the deep soulishness of confessing our sin and and then hearing absolution for them. So the rest of the liturgy actually helps us as well in terms of it being not merely cognitive, but it but an experiential moment in totality. Right, right. Well, and this is, I think, one of the challenges too about the the pandemic is that it 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 um because yeah. preaching is embodied. Pe- right. Preaching is meant to be with each other. We're meant to be together as we do it. It's 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 an embodied act, and so a lot of us during the pandemic were like preaching to our computers, mm-hmm. and it was so terrible. Mm. <laughs> um, especially uh, yes. if, if you if you could if you could be with people sort of live, then it was maybe slightly better. But a lot of yeah. us were kind of on a one way. Oh yeah, I know, I remember thing, <laughs> um, and that that's not exactly. That's not ideal, you know. We 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 did what we had to do in that time, but uh, preaching is meant to be, you know, in our bodies with all okay. of this kind of fullness of yeah. our, our hands, our voices, our the modulations in our voices, our gestures, our you know, all, all those different pieces come yeah. come into play. Yeah. All right. So we've talked about the preacher's heart. Let's talk a minute a minute now about the preacher's passage. So, uh, you know, the vast majority of us listening to this podcast are Anglicans, and I would say that the vast majority of them use the lectionary in one manner or another. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us, when you've got four readings in front of you, um, how do you make your lectionary choice to speak on? Or like I know for me, I, I got in this habit, I don't know how, I think I thought I was such a new Anglican. I thought that's what you're supposed to do where I would try to take all four of the passages and roll them up into one sermon. (laughs) And that's mostly what I did for like 10 years. Oh my gosh. Occasionally I would go away from it, but tell us how you make lectionary choices again, not just as a preacher, but as a rector. And then, then I want you to say a little bit about how you get into it exegetically and having made the lexical choice and then um, how you make the pivot to, the more homiletical part, here's how I'm going to say it. So here's what we're going to read and then say a bit about how you get into it. I don't mean a bunch of stuff on technical sure. likes of Jesus. I just want preachers to hear, you know, kind of how you do it and then how you make that pivot to homiletical stuff. So first, how do, how do you choose one of the four passages if, if that's your practice? Sure. Well, so I, I, like I said earlier, I, on Sunday afternoon, I read all of the, I read all the passages and I just, you know, I'm not trying to do much with them other than kind of let them sit Mm -hmm. with me and sit with them. Um, and then by the time Monday rolls around, I sort of, you know, give them another read. I'm 
taking notes, doing some thinking, mm-hmm. my own, the ways that I was sort of taught to, you know, ask questions and yeah. have wonderings about the text and, uh, and things like that. And then for me, I have never, I think, I don't know if this is just the way I was trained as a priest or what, but I've never felt the pressure to roll in all the texts. Mm. If, if, if it works well, um, then I will do that. But and by the way, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you. I, like I said, I don't know why I did it either. Uh, I, you know. Oh, and sometimes it's, it's not it works. like a, it's not like a thing. Yeah. Right. Sometimes it works really well and it's right. quite very easy and it can be very seamless to, to work them all in. But more often, but oftentimes it would be too much because uh, I know yeah. in our church, we don't, I'm not doing 45 minute sermons. Right? Yeah, like right, yeah. we're trying to do 15 to 20 minutes. Um, so usually by Monday, there's something kind of percolating. There's either one text, maybe two, mm-hmm. um, that I'm seeing something. It's usually yeah. not very clear yet, but, but mm-hmm. I'm seeing something I'm seeing like, Oh, I think there's something with like this one text or these two texts that I have a sense of pull toward a sense of, I'm, I, I have a sense of like drawing. I can hear something in that text that, that feels very, uh, timely and like relevant for the people in this moment, in this season, et cetera. So I know that all might sound a little bit woo woo. I don't, I I don't know. Hey, we're Um, okay with woo woo. Yeah. (laughs) But, but, but it is for me kind of a feel. It it is like a, uh, a sense of like intuition. Um, and then by the time Tuesday rolls around, I, I, I have some, clarity about, okay, this is, this is where I think this is going. And and I'm a person, I was sort of taught to have a, a few sentences, um, you know, a few sentences with that kind of are, are sum up the whole, the whole sermon, you know, and those are, those are what, what, what I kind of, the point I'm trying to make, that's the whole thing. I should be able to say it in a few sentences, like three yeah. sentences, um, and then I can go to the commentaries and, right. you know, I'm looking mm-hmm. at, I'm looking at contexts and different things. Yeah. Then I have to see if I, if there's a way that I need to reshape or rethink any mm-hmm. of those different pieces. Um, and then from there, I, um, I begin writing. I, I don't, I mm-hmm. don't make a very thorough outline. I, I write from those Senses. So is, is that when you, sorry, Tisha, but is that mm-hmm. when you make the pivot from kind of exegetical work to the more homiletical work is when you start writing? Yes, okay. definitely. Definitely. So one, once I start writing, I have a sense of the, the kind of point, the, what's the word for, for the people, yeah. um, in, in these texts. And I have to then go and be for me, right. I like to go and be among the people as I write to them, mm-hmm. Yes, uh, for them. So I, I tend to do some of my best writing in coffee shops in mm-hmm. kind of the movement and with the people yes. and yeah. h- kind of that hustle and bustle. It kind of reminds me and keeps me connected to, um, the reality that these words are not gonna, just going to kind of go off into the ether, but that, you know, by God's grace, they will actually mm-hmm. go out to, to a people. Yeah. So just to review for everybody, 
you you on Sunday afternoon through Monday just sit with it as as mm-hmm. we've said as the original recipient. Then you start thinking about what might be the word to the congregation. Then you hit the commentaries and whatever mm-hmm. other exegetical work you may need to do. Then you pivot as you start mm-hmm. to write to, okay, I now hear, I hear the word for the congregation and I hear it exegetically well. Like I hear it spiritually, then I hear mm-hmm. it exegetically, but now I'm going to craft, I'm going to start writing what this word right. is for the people. Does that get it? That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. So it's all it's all encompassing. I think it's spiritual work, it's ex- exegetical work, it's people work, it's soul yeah. work. It's just it's everything. It's everything. That that is so good. It's so right. We tend to think of preaching as as like you said almost it could be reduced to just like public speaking. But when you say it the way you just said it, it is so much more Absolutely. than mere public speaking. Yeah, which is a grace, which is a grace yes. to us because I think the the sort of the 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 reality the truth like our confession that that we believe that we are speaking you know a, a word that that God has given to us is uh, a really well it's sort of a blessing and a burden right uh, the blessing in it is that you you can be confident that you. Um, have not come to this on your own, that, that God is with you from beginning to end, from yeah. the, from the very first, uh, uh, idea or notion or like nudge in your heart to the last period that you put on the page that, that God is with you in, in the whole process. And then of course, in the actual act of, uh, of proclaiming, but then of yeah. course, it's also, um, you know, it's a big responsibility as well. Yeah. Uh, to, to, to proclaim that. Yeah. All right. So we've talked about, uh, the pastor preacher's heart. We've talked about the passage. Let's talk now about the congregation. And what I thought of here, Tisha, is just the simple notion that all preaching is situated. You know, there's no such thing as a decontextualized message, you know, like you're, you're in res LA, you know, you're not in some other church in Boston or Florida or something. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're situated, you're situated in a news cycle, right? You're situated in whatever the social things that are happening on any given day. You're situated in East LA, basically. You know, you're situated in a congregation, generally speaking, and you're situated amongst a bunch of, you know, individuals in that congregation. So just say a bit how you try to notice the context for preaching, not the mm-hmm. literary context, the social context, sure. and how that might shape um how you write and deliver sermons. Sure. Uh, a few things. I, I always try to stay like, like we were saying earlier, connected to the people. I, mm-hmm. I notice it. I notice it. If I've gone, if I've had a week that's been light on uh, one-on-one yes. coffees, meetings with people, um, I notice, I feel that uh, in my, in like a disconnect or a challenge with really uh hearing God's word for mm-hmm. the people for that Sunday. Um, and when I have had a, 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 a week, a time of just really amazing moments of connection with people, I just have much, just like a, mm. a more robust passion, excitement, you know, that, that sense that you have a word and if, if you don't get it out, you're, you just might burst. Yes. I just notice that, that when I'm with people, the more I'm with people, the better I am. Uh, the better I am able mm. to like hear the word yeah. for them. So that's thing one through a hundred. Um, okay. 
Uh, but the other thing, I I also read a lot. I read a lot of um, fiction, nonfiction. I read a lot of memoirs. I read um, memoirs of of famous people, but also just memoirs of normal people telling the mm-hmm. stories of their everyday lives, people who have been, people who have lives that are very different from mine, people who have mm-hmm. been incarcerated, people who have experienced uh, illness, people who um, are of other cultures. Um, uh, I read a lot about history. I mm-hmm. read, I, I recently read a book called Colorization about the history of black film. Mm. I, I read, I like, um, I'm waiting to read this book uh, called, what's it called? Stiffs. It's, it's about like the morgue and, uh, and dead bodies, I, you know, popular science. Yeah. So I, I just read a lot. Um, I'm reading a book about the history of Los Angeles now. So I, I try to stay connected to the stories of people who are different from me. Yeah. Um, by, by so reading, good t-shirt. Thank you. Try to stay connected to history, the history yeah. of like my place very lo- locally, Los Angeles, and also mm-hmm. um, uh, this nation. And I, I have a, I've started collecting quotes. I keep uh, yes. uh, uh, in, in, I use Evernote. That's what I mm-hmm. use. And I just keep little stories and little quotes yes. that I see and come upon. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I read about an interesting study. I read a study the other day about seagulls. <laughs> uh. Seagulls are they uh, they are they have to be fed by their mom, and so they pack. They're trained. They like have this instinct to pack at the mother, right? But oh, they will right. do that as as well on a popsicle stick with a line on it. So they're at more vigorously. They yeah. will pack more vigorously at the counterfeit, huh. uh, the counterfeit bill, uh, beak rather. Yeah. So anyway, that's neither here nor there, but I don't know when that is going to be useful, but man, that's yes. interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's what I do when I'm writing a book. I do the same thing. And I think I used to do it with sermons too. So I heard you say that I think is really important is you read you read broadly and you observe carefully. And I want everybody to underscore that. Mm-hmm. Because that's what gives you a sense of being grounded in humanity when you right. preach. So I see your genius, Tisha. I mean, obviously we have different temperaments and we're different age. Like it would be so hard for me to sit in a Starbucks and write. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like I can sit in a Starbucks and answer emails and stuff, but I, I just, well, I'm gonna like get up at five o'clock in the morning when, you know, nothing's happening and it's silent, you know, oh, gosh. that's like my thing. So I want everybody to feel free to your own temperament. But I also want you to hear the genius in what uh, Tish is saying is that um, good preaching is grounded in reality. And so I can just picture you sitting in your neighborhood coffee shop and that alerts you to everybody coming in and out of mm-hmm. there that this is my parish. And, mm-hmm. and then that plus the one-on-ones during the week with real parishioners, I can totally see how that grounds you uh, in a context. So now one thing you didn't uh, mention uh, that I want to ask you about specifically, what about your news feeds? Like, do you oh. stay? Do you stay up on that too, or just keeping up with the news in general? Oh, you know, yes. as an aspect of an as one aspect of context, like our our wider social context. Yes, that's good. Good. Good distinction. Good distinction. When you said newsfeed, I yeah, I was like Facebook. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I do. I do stay connected to to the news. I'm not a person who. Um, I think that there's something about like some people think, oh, well, we should just ignore the news. It's too stressful. It's too much. Yeah. I do. I, I do find that it is a source of um, uh, stress and concern 
uh, for the people in my church, right? Yes, so, yeah. so I want to attend to uh, what's going on and how that's impacting uh, them, as well as those events in and of themselves. Not because every Sunday I'm going to preach about whatever thing X Y Z has just happened, mm-hmm. because I think if we're sort of consistently preaching faithfully. Um, we will always, that will, that will just be in the water. Like that will be in the yeah. air that the, that the church breathes, yeah. how to make sense of, of some of these horrible things that, that happen in the world. But yes, I do, um, keep up with the news and what's happening yeah. both nationally, locally and globally, because we have yes. yeah. people from all over the world, um, in our church. And I, I, in our, in our prayers of the people time, we have that period where people can lift up their own prayers. And uh, man, that's also such a good place to kind of attend to what's going on with your people, like to listen to how they pray. Yeah. Um, oh, and yeah. People, yes. And people in in our church definitely have a heart for what's going on all over mm. the world. People are regularly lifting up prayers for war and, and flooding and famine and racial injustice and the environment. So I would be doing a disservice um, to them to yeah. to not attend to the ways that they are connecting to God's heart uh, in that way. Right. Yeah. Maybe what we want to say about the news is that um, staying connected to it as an aspect of context is fine, but there's a big difference between preaching to a congregation versus thinking we have to give hot takes on every little thing that happens, like we're a commentator on TV or something. Like preachers aren't called to give hot takes on everything. Most of the time, it's intellectually dishonest anyway, because something that's really big can't be summarized in 30 seconds, you know, the, a hot take. We just want to be aware of them because, like you said, they affect our congregations. Yeah, I think it's we, we don't want to be people who have our heads buried in the sand about yeah. the realities of life. And if we read Scripture faithfully, it the, the Bible actually doesn't let us do that. It, it doesn't let us draw those kinds of, of distinctions. Um, and if we if we sought to be uh, talking heads, then I don't know sort of what all we would uh, accomplish um, uh, in that way. So I think it's good yeah. not to be reactive, but to be attentive yes. um, in an ongoing way, like as a practice and not as a one-off yeah. uh, thing every time uh, something occurs. Yeah. Well, our guest today has been Tisha Hadra, who's the rector of Res in Los Angeles. And Tisha, just before we let you go, when you think of all the pulpits in C4SO spread around all over the country, literally from, you know, Chicago to Arkansas, from Seattle to Florida, you know, coast to coast and north to south, as somebody who loves preaching and as somebody who God has gifted it to do it well, what would you like to see happening week by week in the average pulpit in C4SO? Oh man, what a great question. I hope and pray that all of all of us who preach, preach from a, a place of deep connection, mm. deep connection to God and God's purposes for the world and to God's people, um, to the ones that, that, that we know, the ones in our churches and the ones outside of our churches, yeah. uh, especially the most vulnerable ones. I think if we are doing that as preachers, then we can avoid 
falling into some of those odd binaries, you know, yeah. that people seem to want to impose. Well, are you going to preach about justice or the gospel? Are you going to preach yeah. about God's love or God's justice? Well, right. I don't really understand any of those <laughs> distinctions. Um, so yeah, so I think my my hope is that that we would all be preaching from a place of connection to to mm-hmm. to God's uh, hope for the world um, and to God's people. Yeah, Amen. You are a treasured friend and a cherished colleague in ministry. Thank you so much, Tisha, for helping us preachers today. Thanks, Bishop Todd. I, I'm no expert, but I'm I'm I love to preach, and I uh, I'm just excited to have been able to talk with you about it. Thank you so much. Thank you.